Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Bedtime with Dan. We are on to another story that I quite enjoy, The Children of Loki. So we get to find out the rest of his kids. And I hope you're having a good Wednesday, almost a Friday. So sit back, relax, here we go. Loki was handsome and he knew it. People wanted to like him, they wanted to believe him, but he was undependable and self-centered at best, mischievous or evil at worst. He married a woman named Signal, who had been happy and beautiful when Loki courted and married her, but now always looked like she is expecting bad news. She bore him a son, Nafi, and shortly after another son, Vali. Sometimes Loki would vanish for long periods and not return, and then Signal would look like she was expecting the very worst news of all. But always Loki would come back to her, looking shifty and guilty, and also as if he were very proud of himself indeed. Three times he went away, three times he eventually returned. The third time Loki returned to Asgard, Odin called Loki to him. I have dreamed a dream said the wise old one-eyed god. You have children. I have a son, Nafi. Nafi, a good boy, although I must confess that he does not always listen to his father. And another son, Valai, obedient and restrained. Not them. You have three other children, Loki. You have been sneaking off to spend your days and your nights in the land of the Frost Giants with Unger... Ungaboda, the giant, giantess, and she has bore you three children. I've seen them in the eye of my mind as I sleep, and my visions tell me that they will be the greatest foes of the gods in time that he has to come. Loki said nothing. He tried to look ashamed and succeeded simply in looking pleased with himself. Odin called the gods to him. With Ty and Thor... <coughs> At their head. With Ty and Thor at their head, and he told them that they would be journeying far into Jotunheim, to Giant Land, to bring Loki's children to Asgard. The gods travelled to the land of the giants, battling many dangers, until they reached Angerboda's keep. She was not expecting them, and she had left her children playing together in the Great Hall. The gods were shocked when they saw what Loki and Angerboda's children were, but that did not deter them. They seized the children, and they bound them, and they carried the oldest between them. Tied to a stripped trunk of pine tree, and they muzzled the second child with a muzzle made from knotted willow, and they put a rope around its neck as a leash, while the third child walked beside them, gloomy and disturbing. Those in the the right of the third child saw a beautiful young girl, while those on the left side tried not to look at her, for they saw a dead girl, her skin and flesh rotted black, walking in their midst. Have you noticed something? Thor asked Ty, on a third day of their journey back through the land of the frost giants. They had camped for the night in a small clearing, and Ty was scratching the furry neck of Loki's second child with its huge right hand. What? They're not following us, the giants. Not even the creature's mother has come after us. 
It's as if they wanted us to take Loki's children out of Jotunheim. That is foolish talk, said Ty. But as he said it, even though the fire was warm, he shivered. Two more days of hard travelling and they were in Odin's Hall. These are the children of Loki, said Ty shortly. The first of Loki's children was tied to a pine tree and was no longer than the pine tree it was tied to. It was called Yomunda and it was a serpent. It has grown many feet in the days that we have carried it back, said Ty. Thor said, careful, it can spit burning black venom. It spat its poison at me, but it missed. That's why I tied its head to the tree like that. It is a child, said Odin. It is still growing. We will send it to where it can harm nobody. Odin looked the serpent. Odin took the serpent to the shore of the sea that lies beneath all lands, the sea that circles Midgard. And there on the shore, he freed your Mungda and watched it slither and slip beneath the waves and swim away, loops and curls. Odin watched it with his one eye until he lost it on the horizon, and he wondered if he had done the right thing. He did not know. He had done as his dreams had told him, but dreams know more than they reveal, even to the wisest of gods. The serpent would grow beneath the grey waters of the world ocean, grow until it encircled the earth, Folk would call Yomunda the Midgard Serpent. Odin returned to the Great Hall, and he ordered Loki's daughter to step forward. He stared at the girl. On the right side of her face, her cheek was pink and white. Her eye was the green of Loki's eyes. Her lips were full and carmine. On the left side of her face, the skin was blotched and straighted, swollen in bruises of death. Her sightless eye rotted and pale. Her lipless mouth wizened and stretched over skull-brown teeth. What do they call you, girl? asked the All-Father. They call me Hell, she said. If it pleases you, All-Father. You are a polite child, said Odin. I'll give you that. Hell said nothing. Only looked at him with her single green eye, sharp as an ice chip and her pallid eye dull and spoiled and dead, and he saw no fear in her. Are you alive? he asked the girl, or are you a corpse? I am only myself, Hel, daughter of Angaboa and of Loki, she said, and I like the dead best of all. They are simple things, and they talk to me with respect. The living look at me with revulsion. Odin contemplated the girl, and he remembered his dreams. Then Odin said, This child will be the ruler of the deepest of the darkest places, the ruler of the dead of all nine worlds. She will be the queen of those poor souls who die in unworthy ways, <coughs> of disease or of old age, of accidents or in childbirth. Warriors who die in battle will always come to us in Valhalla, but the dead who die in other ways will be her folk to attend her in her darkness. For the first time she had been taken from her mother, the girl Hel smiled with half of her mouth. Odin took Hel down to the lightless world, and he showed her the immense hall in which she would receive her subjects, and watched as she named her possessions. 
I will call my bowl hunger, said Hell. She picked up a knife. This is called famine, and my bed is called sickbed. That was two of Loki's children with Agaboa dealt with then. On in the ocean, uh, one in the ocean, one in the darkest beneath the earth, and what to do with the third. When they had brought the third and smallest of Loki's children back from the land of the giants, it had been puppy-sized, and Ty had scratched its neck and its head and played with it. Removing its willow muzzle first, it was a wolf cub, grey and black, with eyes the colour of dark amber. The wolf cub ate its meat raw, but it spoke as a man would speak, in the language of men and the gods, and it was proud. The little beast was called Fenrir. It too was growing fast. One day it was the size of a wolf, the next the size of a cave bear, then the size of a great elk. The gods were intimidated by it, all except Tyr. He still played with it and romped with it. But he alone fed the wolf its meat each day, and each day the beast ate more than the day before, and each day it grew and became fierce and stronger. Odin watched the wolf child grow with foreboding, for in his dreams the wolf had been there at the end of everything. The last thing Odin had seen in his dreams of the future was the topaz eyes and the sharp white teeth of Fenrith Wolf. The gods had a council and resolved at that council that they would bind Fenrir. They crafted heavy chains and shackles in the forges of the gods and they carried the shackles to Fenrir. Here, said the gods, as if suggesting a new game, you have grown so fast, Fenrir, it's time to test your strength. We have here the heaviest chains and shackles. Do you think you can break them? I think I can, the Fenris wolf. Bind me. The gods wrapped the huge chains round Fenrir and shackled his paws. He waited motionless while they did this. The gods smiled at each other as they chained the enormous wolf. Now, shouted Thor. Fenris strained and stretched the muscles of his legs, and the chain snapped like dry twigs. The great wolf howled to the moon, a howl of triumph and joy. I broke your chains, said, he said. Do not forget this. We will not forget, said the gods. The next day, Tyr went to the, take the wolf his meat. I broke the fetters, said Fenrir. I broke them easy. You did, said Tyr. Do you think they will test me again? I grow and I grow stronger with every day. They will test you again. I would wager my right hand on it, said Tyr. The wolf was still growing, and the gods were in the smithies, forging a new set of chains. Each link in the chains was too heavy for the normal man to lift. The metal of the chains was the strongest metal of the gods could find. Iron from the earth mixed with iron that had fallen from the sky. They called the chains Dromi. The gods hauled the chains to where Fenris slept, and the wolf opened his eyes. Again, he said. If you can escape from these chains, said the gods, then your renown and your strength will be known to all worlds. Glory will be yours. If chains like this cannot hold you, then your strength will be the greater than that of any god or giant. Fenris nodded at this. 
and looked at the chains called Dromi. Bigger than any chains that had been, stronger than the strongest of bonds. There is no glory without danger, said the wolf, after some moments. I believe I can break these bindings. Chain me up. They chained him. The great wolf stretched and strained, but the chains held. The gods looked at each other, and there was a beginning of triumph in their eyes. But now the huge wolf began to twist and to writhe, to kick out his legs and strain in every muscle and every sinew. His eyes flashed and his teeth flashed, and his jaws foamed. He growled as he writhed. He struggled with all of his might. The god moved back involuntarily, and it was good that they did, for the chains fractured and then broke with such violence that the pieces had thrown far into the air. And for years to come, the gods would find lumps of shattered shackles embedded in the sides of trees and of the side of mountains. Yes, said Fenrir, and howled his victory like the wolf and like a man. The gods who had watched the struggle did not seem, the wolf observed, to delight in his victory. Not even Tyr, Fenrir, Loki's children, brooded on this and on other matters. The Fenris wolf grew hunger and hungrier with each day that passed. Odin brooded and he pondered and he thought, all the wisdom of Mimir's well at his, and the wisdom that he had gained from hanging from the well tree, a sacrifice to himself. At last he can call the light elf Skinir, Freya's messenger, to his side, and he described the chain called Gleipnir, Skinner rode his horse across the rainbow bridge to Swattenheim with instructions to the dwarfs on how to create a chain unlike anything else made before. The dwarfs listened to Skinner, described the commission, and they shivered, and they named their price. Skinner agreed, and he had been instructed to do so by Odin. Although the dwarfs, although the dwarfs' price was high, the dwarfs gathered the ingredients that they needed to make it. These were the six things the, dwarf ga the dwarfs gathered. For firstly, the footsteps of a cat. Secondly, the beard of a woman. For thirdly, the roots of a mountain. For fourthly, the sinews of a bear. For fifthly, the breath of a fish. For sixthly and lastly, the spittle of a bird. Each of these things was used to make Glipnir. You say you have not seen these things. Of course you have not. The dwarves used them in their crafting. When the dwarves were finished their crafting, they gave Skirnir a box. Inside the box was something that looked like a long silken ribbon, smooth and soft to the touch. It was almost transparent. The weight next to nothing. Skinner rode back to Asgard with his box at his side. He arrived late in the evening after the sun had set. He showed the gods what he had brought back from the workshop of the dwarfs, and they were amazed to see it. The gods went together to the shores of the Black Lake, and they called Fenrir by name. He came at a run, as a dog will come when it is called, and the gods marveled to see how big he was and how powerful. What's happened? asked the wolf. We have obtained the strongest bond of all, they told him. Not even you will be able to break it. The wolf puffed himself up. I can burst any chains, he told them proudly. 
Odin opened his hand to display Gleipnir. It shimmered in the moonlight. That, said the wolf, that is nothing. The gods pulled on it to show him how strong it was. We cannot break it, they told him. The wolf squinted at the silken band as they held between them, glimmering like a snail's trowel or the moonlight on the waves. He turned away uninterested. No, he said. Bring me real chains, real fetters, heavy ones, huge ones. Let me show my strength. This is Gleipnir, said Odin. It is stronger than any chains or fetters. Are you scared, Fenrir? Scared? Not at all. But what happens if I break thin ribbon like that? Do you think I will get renown and fame? That people will gather together and say, Do you know how strong and powerful Fenris Wolf is? He is so powerful he broke a silk ribbon. There will be no glory for me breaking, Gleipnir. You are scared, said Odin. The great beast sniffed the air. I sent treachery and trickery, said the wolf, his amber eyes flashing in the moonlight. And although I think your Gleipnir may only be a ribbon, I will not consent to be tying up by it. You, you who broke the strongest, biggest chains that there were, you are scared of this band, said Thor. I am scared of nothing, growled the wolf. I think it is rather that you little creatures are scared of me. Odin scratched his bearded chin. You are not stupid, Fenrir. There is no treachery here, but I understand your reluctancy. It would take a brave warrior to consent to being tied up with bonds he could not break. I assure you, as the father of the gods, that if you cannot break the bands like this, a veritable silk ribbon, as you say, then we gods will have no reason to be afraid of you, and we will set you free and let you go on your way. A long growl from the wolf. You lie, old father. You lie in the way that some folk breathe. If you were to tie me up in these bonds, I could not escape from them. Then I do not believe you would free me. I think you would leave me here. I think you plan to abandon me and to betray me. I do not consent to having that ribbon placed upon me. Fine words and brave words, said Odin. Words to cover your fear of being proven a coward, Fenris Wolf. You are afraid to be tied by this silk ribbon. No need for expectations. The wolf's tongue lulled from his mouth, and he laughed then, showing sharp teeth each the size of a man's arm. Rather than question my courage, I challenge you to prove there is no treachery planned. You can tie me up if one of you will place his hands in my mouth. I will gently close my teeth upon it, and I will not bite down. There is no treachery afoot. I will open my mouth when I have escaped from the ribbon. But when you have freed me, or when you have freed me, and his hand will be unharmed. There, I swear, if I have a hand in my mouth, you can tie me with the ribbon. So, whose hand will it be? The gods looked at each other. Boulder looked at Thor. Heimdall looked at Odin. Honia looked at Freya, but none of them would move. Then Tyr, Odin's son, sighed and stepped forward and raised his right hand. I will put my hand in your mouth, Fenrir, said Tyr. Fenrir lay on his side, and Tyr put his right hand in Fenrir's mouth. Just as he had done when Fenrir was a puppy and he had played together. 
Fenrir closed his teeth gently until that he held Tyr's hand at the wrist without breaking the skin and he closed his eyes. The gods bound him with Glypnir, a shimmering snail's tray wrapped this enormous wolf, tying his legs, rendering him mobile. There, said Odin. Now, Fenris wolf, break your bonds. Show us all how powerful you are. The wolf stretched and struggled. It pushed and strained every nerve and every muscle to snap the ribbon that bound it. But with every struggle, the task seemed harder, and with every strain, the glimmering ribbon became stronger. At first, the gods sniggered, but the gods, then the gods chuckled. Finally, they were certain that the beast had been immobilized, and there was no danger. And the gods laughed. Only Tyr was silent. He did not laugh. He could feel the sharpness of Fenris Wolf's teeth against his wrist, the wetness and warmth of Fenris Wolf's tongue against his palm and his fingers. Fenris stopped struggling. He lay there unmoving. If the gods were going to free him, they would do it now. But the gods only laughed harder. Thor's booming guffers, each louder than the thunderclap, mingled with Odin's dry laughter, with Baldur's bell-like laughter. Fenrir looked at Tyr, and Tyr looked at him bravely. Then Tyr closed his eyes and nodded. Do it, he whispered. Fenrir bit down on Tyr's wrist. Tyr made no sound. He simply wrapped his left hand around the stump of his right and squeezed it as hard as he could to slow the spurting of blood to an ooze. Fenrir watched the gods take one end of Glipnir and thread it through a stone as big as a mountain and fasten it to the ground. Then he watched as they took another rock and used it to hammer the stone deeper into the ground than the deepest ocean. Treacherous Odin called the wolf. If you had not lied to me, I would have been a friend of the gods. But you fear, but your fear has betrayed you. I will kill you, father of the gods. I will wait until the end of all things, and I will eat the sun, and I will eat the moon, but I will take the most pleasure in killing you. The gods were careful not to get within reach of Fenrir's jaws. But as they were driving the rock deeper, Fenrir twisted and snapped at them. The god nearest with him, with presence of mind, thrusted his sword into the roof of Fenrir's wolf's mouth. The hilt of the sword jammed into the wolf's lower jaw, wedging the jaw open and preventing it from even preventing it from ever closing. The wolf growled inarticulately. The saliva poured from its mouth, foaming a river. If you did not know it was a wolf, you might have thought it was a small mountain with a river flowing through from a cave mouth. The gods left the place where the river of saliva flowed down to the dark lake. They did not speak, but once they were far enough away, they laughed some more and clapped each other on the back and smiled huge smiles of those who believed they had done something very clever indeed. Tyr did not smile and he did not laugh. He bound the stump of his wrist tightly with a cloth and he walked beside the gods back to Asgard and he kept his own counsel. These, then, were the children of Loki. And that is the children of Loki. Some of my favourite creatures are Loki's children, especially Fenrir. Uh, if you ever look up a picture of him, very cool. Um, but that's the story this week. 
Hope you enjoyed it. And I'll catch you Friday for the regular show. See you later.